Tonight's reading is from Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. Jesus cleanses a leper. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer your cleansing, what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as I may have mentioned during the uh, Lent, I, I had planned on starting a series on First Peter tonight, right after Easter. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, I was starting to prepare for that, and just didn't didn't feel a lot of clarity, didn't feel a lot of energy. And as I was praying, I sensed the Lord say, uh, you're pretty tired right now. Don't make decisions when you're tired. Go out to the desert and listen, and I'll show you where we're going to go next. So uh, we're not going to start First Peter tonight. Um, I do appreciate very much you allowing me to take this retreat every year. It's very, very important to my spiritual life. Next week, uh, Dr. Gary Stratton, who is a dean and a professor at Johnson University, will be speaking about centering prayer and anxiety. That's uh, it's a very interesting uh, teaching that he does, and so I hope you can be here for that, and I'll be, Lord willing, getting home that night. Well, tonight, I just want to take a look at a, one of the first healing stories in, in the Gospels, the story of Jesus healing the leper. Jesus' ministry is one of preaching and healing. Matthew summarizes it like this. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. One-fifth of the gospels are healing stories. This one begins, simply enough, and a leper came to him imploring or begging him and kneeling. Leprosy uh, is a skin disease. It consists of boils, rashes. It's very painful. It can uh, disfigure uh, limbs, faces, hands, make the individual insensitive to pain. Uh, We may have a a, a picture of someone from a leper colony. Um, There are about 100,000 lepers in the world today, uh, not nearly as many that were there before. But it, uh, I had the opportunity of visiting a leper colony once in the mountains of rural Romania, and there were about two dozen folks with, struggling with that kind of a, of a disease. Obviously, it's very, it's very uncomfortable and unpleasant, um, but there's, there's another factor to it um, that makes it equally difficult, and that is because there was this sense that the disease was contagious. By the way, doctors today uh, have found that it's not as contagious as they once thought, but... Because of that, they uh, banned lepers from the community. And there's actually two chapters in the book of Leviticus about how to do that. 
Um, a law in the book of Leviticus prescribes, the leper in whom the plague is shall wear torn clothes and the hair of his head shall hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and shall cry, unclean, unclean. All the days in which the plague is in him, he shall be unclean. He is unclean. He shall dwell alone. Outside the camp shall be his dwelling. So really, this, these individuals uh, were forced to bear a twofold burden. One was you know, intense physical suffering, but then also the, the, the shame of being rejected by the entire community, exiled from the community, cast out from the community. No one, no one wanted to be around them or, or even touch them. And so this is a healing story about someone who needs physical healing, and someone who needs emotional healing, someone who needs healing from shame. And I think it's significant that this is the first main healing story in the Gospel of Mark because I think it's the Lord saying, you know, healing is, is about everything. Uh, it is about physical, but it's also about emotional needs as well. And you, yeah, thanks, you can go ahead and take that down. So one of the things you might, you might do whenever we preach a Gospel story, it's helpful to kind of, see where you connect with it. So you might just ask yourself, do I identify with the leper in any way tonight? Uh, is there any way in which I need physical healing tonight? Is there any way in which um, I need emotional healing tonight? Um, the rest of the story tells us a little bit about how we can pray for healing the leper kneels before Jesus, and he says, If you will, you can make me clean. Now, something very profound has happened here, because if you read on in the book of Leviticus, lepers were not supposed to be within 50 feet of religious leaders. And there were great penalties for this. But this leper has come out of the wild places where he was living alone. He has heard about Jesus. He has come to believe in Jesus' power and he decides to risk moving towards Jesus to ask him for healing. That is where healing prayer begins. It begins by risking to move towards Jesus to ask him for healing. Well, couldn't Jesus just heal him out in the woods? Could. There's a couple of stories where that happens, but the vast majority of healing stories in the Gospels, Jesus first invites and waits for the person or the people around the person to move towards them in faith and take that risk. And if there's anything we learn about healing tonight, it's this. Healing is about being in the presence of Jesus. There's not a formula. It's not magic. It's all about Jesus. It's all about getting into the presence of Jesus. And Jesus himself says that when two or three are gathered in my name, I am with you. In other words, he's with us in a special sense, and his presence is there to heal. So the first step in healing prayer is taking the risk of moving towards the presence of Jesus. And that often means moving towards a space or a place where you can encounter Jesus in prayer. I've been hearing some interesting and fun stories about some of you that have been taking that risk. When Mark Constantino gave me permission to share a little story, he emailed me a few weeks ago. Mark says, Ray mentioned receiving prayer for his back pain when we last met, and I couldn't help think, well, 
I think I'll go ahead and get some prayer for my left knee that I developed tendinitis in two years prior, and I've not been able to run or play soccer since. Tonight, Lizzie and I ran over a mile, and my knee feels great with no inflammation. So the Monday night Bible study has been praying for healing for some time now, and uh, they are going to start and oh, on the fourth night of the month, the fourth Monday night of the month, they're going to invite folks to come in and receive uh, prayer for healing. Now, let's admit it. it it's, it's risky to do this. It's, it's risky to go to the chapel tomorrow night at 6 and ask for healing prayer. It's risky to come up after service and ask for healing prayer. It's risky to confess to your friend that you're struggling with depression and invite them to walk with you. It's risky to call a therapist. It's risky to go get blood work done at the hospital. It's risky to come to my office and look at your dreams. Healing is always risky. Why? Well, you might not get healed. Right? And other things could happen. But healing prayer begins with a movement towards Jesus. There's a little bit of a risk in that. Now, let's look at the leper's simple request. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. There are two really important affirmations in this prayer. In the first part, he says, if you will, or if you desire, or if it is your desire... The first part of healing prayer is that he affirms and acknowledges the sovereignty of Jesus over his life. If you will, if this is your desire, you can do this. And wrapped up in that is is a belief and an understanding that the rest of the scriptures unpack is that Jesus Christ is sovereign over our lives. He does not always heal us. And sometimes he uses suffering to conform us into his image. I mean, Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, is praying for healing. God says, no. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Healing is a mystery. God's ultimate goal is to make us like him. Somehow he uses suffering to do that. We don't always know why. But then the leper leper affirms Jesus' power. After he says, if it's your will, then he says, you can make me clean. The Greek word for can is the root word for dynamite. It means power. The leper has heard powerful stories about Jesus' healing He believes that Jesus has the power to heal. So so he holds these two things in tension, and we need to as well. Jesus is Lord. He is sovereign over everything. He will determine what gifts he wants to give to his children. He also has the power to heal. So those are two affirmations that we need to keep in mind as we approach healing prayer. Jesus is sovereign, and Jesus has the power to heal. Now, my observation would, would be, that Christians have a hard time holding two truths in tension. That we like one or the other. And so you have some denominations that are all about the first one. Look, Jesus is sovereign. He uses suffering to make you like God. And therefore, why pray for healing? Because suffering's good. 
I think that's pushing Scripture too far. I don't see Scripture ever saying suffering's, like, good. I think it says God is so sovereign that he comes into the middle of suffering and pain and does good things. That's an important distinction. I, I'm, I get real uncomfortable when people say, I, I guess the, son took my, the Lord took your son out in that car accident because he had a better plan. I don't think that's in Scripture. I think God is present in the midst of suffering to do good things. Matter of fact, I wasn't going to go into this tonight, but I'm just going to mention it briefly. Um, in some manuscripts, remember, we don't have an original copy of the Gospel of Mark like sitting in Bob's office. Um, there are thousands of these manuscripts that float all over the, the ancient world. Many of them are from the first century. And some of the manuscripts have a different translation for Mark chapter 1, verse 41. In the Greek, uh, the translation that we have in our Bibles tonight is moved with pity. There's a, there, many of the manuscripts, though, have another Greek verb that means filled with anger. Filled with anger. And if you go back over the history of this, some Bibles translate it that way, some Bibles translate it the other. So of the hundreds and hundreds of manuscripts Many of them have filled with compassion. Some of them have filled with anger. It's a very technical discussion. We won't go into it tonight. But suffice it to say that many of the early Christians read it that way, filled with anger. Why would it say that? Is he mad at the leper? I I can't imagine that. I think he's mad at the sickness. I think he's mad at the devil for hurting this man. I, I, I think he hates sickness. I think he hates it when a young person's killed in a car crash. I don't think he wakes up, and I guess God doesn't wake up, but I don't think he just says, you know, I need to do something big in the Smiths. Let's take the sun out, but he'll be better in heaven anyway. I just don't see that in Scripture. I see God being present in the midst of evil, but not the author of evil. Be very careful before you call God the author of evil. And sometimes I think we're not healed because we embrace healing as like a friend. And we start to see it as part of our identity, and this is all what God wants for my life, and this is who I am. I'm a blank. So that translation about God being angry or Jesus being angry, I think he's angry at what the devil's doing to this guy. I don't think he likes sickness. Doesn't Jesus, uh, the, the scripture says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the evil one. So, Jesus is sovereign, and Jesus has the power to heal. We have to hold those two things in tension. I received a text this week from someone who's wrestling with these tensions. He says, I've struggled with consistent back pain and was getting ready to see the doctor about it. I was convicted that I'd never asked for prayer for my back. I was operating out of a scarcity mentality, believing that we needed to save our prayers for big things like folks with cancer. Then I realized I was limiting God and not trusting in his abundance. I went for prayer at church. I began by confessing my lack of trust and then asked for prayer. I have experienced significant healing. I've kind of had a love-hate relationship with healing since 93. um, When I first came to the conclusion that God healed today. And the love part is because of things like what happened with a mom named Kathy. She, she had five um, 
little kids, and, um, and, and this was like, I forget, about 1994. She went into the hospital. Um, her husband's name was Dick, and all her systems just started to shut down, and nobody could understand what was going on. The doctors couldn't understand what was going on, so finally they called the elders. We went over. We went into her hospital room. We laid hands on her. We prayed for her, and all the doctor could say was all the systems are shutting down. We don't know what's going on. All we knew was that two days later, all the systems turned back on again, and um, Kathy Angel's still, still here. I saw her at a swim meet last summer. That's what I love about healing. I love it when God breaks in and does miraculous things like that. But sometimes people get hurt along the way because what if you call the elders to pray and you're not healed? So here's how I've dealt with it. I just don't talk about it very much. I'm, I'm not sure that's really, that's really the best way either. Because if we do this in a healthy, whole way, even if I come in and I'm struggling with something serious and I ask you to pray for, pray for me and I'm not healed, there are still many good things that happen in the midst of that ongoing prayer. I'm, I'm loved, I'm touched, I'm cared for. I find encouragement and strength. So somehow we need to live in the tension between the two of these. Um, Well, the other way of reading this text is Jesus says that he has, or Mark says that he has compassion for the leper. And that's this powerful Greek phrase. It means to be moved to the depth of the bowels. Jesus has deep empathy for human suffering. Do you believe that? I think one reason we don't pray for healing is at some unconscious level, we don't really. We expect judgment. We expect anger. We expect an empty heaven. But the idea that all those wonderful songs we sang about last week means that Jesus Christ is actually alive and that he's there and here and that he actually cares about your suffering. That's the heart of why we pray for healing. That's the heart of the resurrection, that he cares. So that's why we go to him. Now, Jesus can heal a lot of different ways. What's really interesting about this story is that Jesus violates the law of Leviticus and becomes ceremonially unclean by touching the leper. You know, there's a lot of ways that he could do this, right? He's kind of like LeBron James. You know, there's a lot of ways you can dunk. I mean, he, he could just do whatever he wanted. He did not have to touch the man. Why touch a leper when it's forbidden to touch him? Well, one, maybe he just knew the man needed touch. This man has probably not been touched in years. You know, I was talking to one of our singles recently, and, and they just said, you know, I haven't been touched in three days. 
I shared that with another single friend, and she said, try a week. There's something beautiful about just being touched. We, we have to be appropriate and careful and all of that. But there's also this general pattern in Scripture of God's healing power flowing through human touch. Here's a couple examples. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And laying his hands on him, he said, Saul, the Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road by which you came, and he has sent me so you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So that's why we lay hands on one another is because we are in Christ. We are sharing in Christ's risen authority. And so we, we are his ambassadors, his mediators of his healing touch. That's why we touch each other when we pray for each other. I also want to just wonder a moment about the relationship between Jesus' healing touch and shame. Because remember, this man was totally abandoned, cut off, ostracized, and rejected by his own people. And Jesus touches him. The way that you heal deep shame is by exposure. He goes to Jesus and being touched by Jesus. So whatever that looks like among us as a people, I think it centers on the healing touch of Jesus. And I think one of the ways the healing touch of Jesus heals our shame is when we walk closely enough with a brother or sister or a couple brothers or sisters that we can be vulnerable and share what we're ashamed of. And then as that brother listens loves, embraces, walks, prays, perhaps pushes back. I believe that is how we experience the healing touch of Jesus. And I I so appreciate what we're doing with the, the community suppers. It's such a great way to start a journey into the kind of relationships where this can happen. If if you don't have a relationship like that, Let's pray. Let's talk. Let's keep working. Let's, let, let's find people where you can walk that way with. I want to take one moment and look at the word immediately. Verse 42, and immediately the leprosy left him. Now, a common argument against healing today is nobody's healed immediately anymore. And so that must mean that Jesus doesn't do this anymore. And I think that's fundamentally flawed. Here's a reason why. In Acts 2, Peter gets up, preaches, 3,000 people are immediately saved. I've been preaching 30 years. I never have and never will see 3,000 people immediately saved. Does that mean that I should stop preaching? Some of you are thinking, please. (laughs) (laughs) Does that mean that we should stop witnessing because we don't see the kind of results that they saw in the first century? I, I don't think so. You know, of course Jesus sees unbelievable things. He's God. 
And when you mediate the power of a God through a rusty pipe, you're going to lose a lot of the voltage. But suppose that he's a million volts and I'm 10 volts. Don't you want to at least get the 10? I think that's kind of how it works. And gradually as you go in faith and you learn some of these things, you know, you get a little of the rust out of the pipe and your voltage increases a little bit. I, I have never seen someone raised from the dead. I did drive by a village in Vietnam, and the bus driver said that village came to Christ when a man was raised from the dead. It's as close as I've gotten. I tell you, I've seen hundreds of times where God has hastened healing, hastened recovery, slowed down the progression of something. Many times of him touching profoundly, healing memories, healing emotional wounds. I really have. This is something that God likes to do. Now, the last part of our story is a little confusing. Uh, Jesus says to the guy, hey, look, whatever you do, keep this between you and me. (laughs) The next thing he does is he runs into the village, tells everybody about what Jesus has done for him. Thousands of people come out of the countryside, and Jesus has to reboot and go out into the woods with his guys and start over again. (laughs) Now, there's a lot in that. Why is Jesus, we call it the messianic secret. Why is Jesus so often saying, wait, 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 don't tell anybody about this, especially early on? Why? It's because he's trying to make disciples not build a crowd. He knew he could attract thousands and thousands of of people. But he wants to form disciples who will go out and build the church. And so he, he, he limits it. And I think that's an important lesson is that Healing is not like a a, a magic act. Healing is part of discipleship. Healing is one of the things God does to strengthen our faith as disciples. He's not interested in sideshow. So, just a couple of principles to keep in mind that we've learned about healing prayer tonight. One, if you want to be healed, you need to take the risk of moving towards the healing presence of Jesus. Two, Jesus is sovereign over all of my life. Three, Jesus has the power to heal. Four, oh, I forgot this. This is pretty good. Healing prayers can be simple prayers. In the Greek, there's five Greek words in that one prayer. He doesn't have to download a whole truckload of theology. He doesn't have to get it all right. He just says five words. So healing prayer can be simple prayers. Jesus is compassionate. He cares when we hurt. Healing normally flows through human touch. Healing may be gradual. And the purpose of healing is to make me a disciple of Jesus, not an exhibit in a magic show. Let's pray.